Good morning, everybody. Um, if you have a Bible, find it, and I'll tell you where to turn in a moment. We're starting our new series today. Yeah. Actually, just a couple of extra announcements of family news. just like to say happy anniversary to, uh, to Grant and Lindsay. How many years? Twelve. Congratulations. Have a great day. And happy anniversary to Rachel Mayton. Yeah, I know. She's so lucky, isn't she? <laughs> um, <laughs> lots. 18. Hey. Go us. We are starting a new series today. And we're going to be, over these next few uh, weeks and months, we're going to be working through uh, the Apostles' Creed, which I am excited about. You'll see that come up on the screen. I'm going to uh, read the whole creed through, and then today really just serves as an introduction. Some of you might know immediately what I'm talking about, and others of you might be saying, what on earth is the Apostles' Creed? What's, in a, what's a creed, full stop? And a creed is a uh, simple but profound statements of the Christian faith. So if you want to know what Christians all through the ages, as it were, have, have believed, um, this creed uh, shows us. So I'll, I'll read it through, give you a bit of information, then we'll turn to a passage in the Bible which we'll look at um, uh, together this morning. So uh, the Apostles' Creed says this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. So, um, in, the, in the early centuries of the church, a few creeds like this one uh, developed, and this is one of the earliest creeds, so the, the earliest version of this creed uh, existed probably in the year 200, 300, around that time, um, and kind of was then adopted and used in lots of different places through the uh, through the centuries, it's still referred to now. And the idea behind a creed was to, to give clarity uh, to what Christians believe, so to teach the Christian faith, therefore to help Christians uh, detect error, uh, things that are outside of the Bible's teaching, and therefore as well to protect uh, Christian unity. So the wonderful thing about the creed is they that it doesn't just belong to one 
type of Christian church. It doesn't just belong to one tradition or to one denomination. It belongs to all genuine uh, Christians. So this is something that all Christians uh, can agree on. There might be subtly different things that Christians might believe about the things contained. Uh, but as one Christian author has put it, um, all Christians believe more than is contained in the Apostles' Creed. There's lots more that can be said about the Christian faith, in other words. But none can believe less. So we're looking at uh, truth, doctrine, the Christian faith that is utterly essential and is foundational to all of life. We're going to look at that today um, with reference to a passage of Scripture that we've actually looked at already relatively recently. So you can turn to Acts chapter 16, and we'll use a passage here really to answer the, the question, why look at the Apostles' Creed? We're going to do that by looking again at what happened in a certain prison in uh, Philippi. So we're going to look at four reasons uh, to consider looking at the Apostles' Creed. Well, that will explain why we as elders want to take the whole term uh, to go through it. Uh, in, in the future, there could be moments where on a Sunday when we gather, at the moment we will have you know, a psalm read out, and that will continue to be the norm, the standard if you like, uh, but occasions when actually we recite the creeds together and uh, begin a meeting by, by affirming and declaring together what we believe. And in the future, uh, look to make the, the Apostles' Creed like the framework around which a new church course for new members um, is based upon. So why, why look at the Apostles' Creed? I'm going to turn to Acts chapter 16 and verse 22. I'll read you a few verses from there. Uh, just to remind you of this situation, uh, Paul and Silas have been to Philippi. Um, God revealed in a quite remarkable way that they should go to Macedonia. So they end up in Philippi, they see some people responding to the gospel, and they get thrown into prison. This is what happened then. In verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After uh, they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So some of you might remember uh, looking at this incident in the, in the life of the early church in Paul and Silas' ministry uh, in Philippi, and what happened to that Philippian jailer, we'll see, goes on. Those few verses just remind us the, the opening scene of them being thrown into prison. Now, why do I want us to look through the Apostles' Creed? The first reason is this, to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. I'm pinching from Jude. You might remember when we looked at Jude, there was this exhortation at the end of Jude, uh, verse 20. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith, 
and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. That's an instruction that Judah's written to us. Build your, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. That's an instruction for every believer through every age, every part of the planet. And I think this creed is going to help us to do that. With Paul and, and Silas, I think that's what they have already been doing. They've been building themselves up in their most holy faith. And how do we know that? Because when the pressure comes, it's the most holy faith that comes out of them. I took a photo earlier this week of mine and Rachel's tube of toothpaste. Ooh, is that there? Maybe not. I can't remember. Is it on one of the screens? Who knows? Imagine a tube of toothpaste. When you squeeze a tube of toothpaste, what comes out? Ah, absolutely. So when you squeeze a Christian, what comes out? Yeah, toothpaste. No, no, hang on a minute. What, what comes out? What comes out of a Christian when the pressure's on, when we get squeezed? Well, honestly, sometimes in our fleshy moments, it's not always great, is it? When the pressure comes. Um, but what comes out of Paul and Silas when the pressure is on is that about midnight, they were praying and singing hymns to God. The pressure's on. They have already been building themselves up in their most holy faith. And what happens right then and there is the proof. When squeezed, out from them comes praying and singing hymns to God. They are already persuaded when the pressure's on that God is with them, that God is good, and that their lives are built on a foundation of truth. It's been interesting just to hear in the news about the, well, the pressure that has suddenly come upon certain schools uh, by realizing that these strange, aerated uh, concrete that was used to fabricate those church, uh, school buildings years ago is at risk of crumbling. I guess if to the untrained eye, you'd look at it and you just think, well, that will stand the test of time. That looks really solid. It looks robust. Um, but, but actually, it's come to be recognized as, as basically liable to crumble. That's not what happens here with um, Paul and Silas. And there's one Christian author who's written this. There is such power in knowing that when we confess the Apostles' Creed alone or in corporate worship, we are declaring the truth of the Christian faith with the very words that gave early Christians hope, sent martyrs confidently to their deaths, and have instructed Christ's church throughout the centuries. We are kind of just familiar with what it's like to be a Christian in the here and now. That creed has helped to strengthen believers in every century, from about the second century onwards. In every era of Christian history, it could be said, God is doing amazing things and the pressure's on. 
In what century has that not been true? It's always been the case. And here's something that strengthens believers. We might think, well, why is this? Why is it called the Apostles' Creed? And um, the the kind of legend has it that each of the original apostles chose one of the statements to be included in the creed, which is just made up, really. There's no evidence that that ever happens. It might just be a neat way of remembering that there are kind of 12 statements in this creed. It has kind of 12 things uh, to say. Now, you might think, but if that's the point of looking through this creed to build ourselves up in our faith, to strengthen us, um, then isn't that a bit self-centered for the needs of the time, for the challenges that we might face? It's good to focus on personal worship, prayer, our, our relationship with God, but, but surely there's more, and surely our focus should be on more than just building ourselves up. And you'd be absolutely right. Let's look at the next few verses and see what happens. Well, reading again from verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Another reason why I think it is good news for us to focus on the Apostles' Creed in this coming term is because by it, it helps us to wake up a watching world. It's intriguing. They were going for it about midnight in prayer and singing hymns to God, and we're told that the other prisoners were listening in. They heard all they they were singing and praying about. We're told later on, that the jailer uh, woke up. So at some point before midnight, the jailer has dropped off to sleep. Now, we don't know for how long were Paul and Barnabas doing this. For how long were they singing and, uh, and praying? My guess is for a good while. At what point did the jailer fall asleep? Like, how much did he hear? Now, the jailer, it was his job to be vigilant, to be on guard. He is told earlier on to make sure, he's commanded to guard them carefully. So he's not a slacker, he's got a a job to do, and the implications of getting his job wrong are quite drastic. I I, I don't know if this was literally written down, but if there was a, a staff handbook for a jailer in a Roman city... Uh, I think it would include within it that if one of the prisoners escape, his life would be forfeit. So he has to do a really good and careful job of keeping people in prison because if he gets it wrong, he will die. That explains why he's about to take his own life. He probably thinks, it's, uh, let's just get it over and done with um, because it's going to be done to me anyway. It's in the staff handbook. So 
he's, he's not like that he's just like drifted off to sleep at about seven in the evening without a care in the world. There's nothing else left to do. He's got this job to do. He's a vigilant guy. But yes, around midnight, he's, fall, he's fallen asleep and he's then uh, woken up. Now, obviously, Paul and Silas were not reciting the Apostles' Creed as part of their worship that night for the reason that it hadn't been written yet. But you've got to wonder, haven't you? What were they saying? What were they bringing in praise to God and what were they praying? What did all those prisoners hear? And before he dropped off, what did the jailer hear? Clearly, they didn't just run through the Apostles' Creed. Nevertheless, surely it would have been covered. There are things I believe about God. There are things I believe about Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. God's put us on this planet to establish his church. And he's leading us into the future of which he is completely in control. And so these prisoners are looking at guys who have are on the, who sat down in the innermost cell, being carefully guarded. Their feet are in stocks. They can't get up. They're the very picture of, 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 of restriction. They don't look free. They're in a tight spot. The pressure's on. Their future is uncertain. Their life is dangling by a thread. But, on the other hand, they're hearing them speak and pray, and they're, and they're kind of just picking up, well, they look really strict, restricted. They look hemmed in, but they sound really free. The situation they're in should lead to no joy whatsoever, but they're singing. Who sings in prison? Who sings at the point of, of being, if you like, defeated and locked up and restrained? It's so odd. I've never been in prison. I'm guessing that many of us have not been in prison to know what it is like to be under lock and key in a small room. But I wonder if this watching world looks at us and looks at Christians and can have the same sort of response. Well, it seems so tight. Their life seems so kind of restricted. There's this set of beliefs, and, and perhaps there's, uh, there are things that they don't do. Sometimes Christians can be known by that, by a list of things that they, they wouldn't do. Life looks restricted, and yet there's a people who are full of joy and overflowing with faith. That contrast wakes up a watching world. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense in the way that the TARDIS doesn't make sense. Okay, I don't have my, I have my own tube of toothpaste. Uh, I don't have my own TARDIS, uh, so I had to borrow an image, thank you Google, um, of the TARDIS. Now I appreciate, you may not all be fans of what is a very BBC very kind of British institution that is the series called Doctor Who, in which there is a Time Lord who can travel through time and space with the help of the TARDIS. 
And the TARDIS looks small. Uh, it's, it's just a box into which maybe one or two people could squeeze through that tiny door. It looks old-fashioned. Even to have to explain to some of you kids what a phone box is. It's a little bit strange nowadays. What you, have, you want to make a phone call, you're in public, and you have to open a door and go inside a small box. I was explaining what phones were like growing up. We thought, as a family, like we'd really like made it when you could just push a button to get the right number, rather than put your finger around all the way this crazy dial. You, you know, and if you were ringing out of area, it took about half an hour just to ring the number. What on earth? A box into which you can step in order to call the police. It's just the bizarrest thing. It looks old-fashioned, and it's really small. And the Christian faith can appear to a watching world like that. It's, it's a bit tight, it's old-fashioned, and wherever it rocks up, wherever it kind of appears, a bit like in this field, just looks massively out of place. I mean, do you, do you ever feel like that for the Christian faith? It seems so out of touch. And the life that it brings, others can just say, well, you, 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 you're restricted, you're not free. But what happens as you step inside the TARDIS? It looks small on the outside, but what's it like on, on the inside? Thank you very much. Not only is it bigger on the in inside, but actually, where can it take you? Anywhere. Anytime. That might make, well, anyway. Let's not get carried away with the illustration. <laughs> Put the picture away now. It served its purpose. It can look tight and restrictive. What these, these 12 statements, things, statements of faith, you've got to tick this to be a Christian. It's all a bit hemmed in. The wonder of the Christian faith um, is that as you go through the door and say, yes, I, I believe and I know these things to be true, you come into something that's much bigger. It, of course it won't make sense to people looking at the outside. Our part to play is to say, this is what it's like on the inside. And that's what Paul and Silas are doing. As they're in prison, I, maybe there are certain wounds that if they could, they just needed to kind of soothe and so on. But their focus is, oh God, we want to... We want people to come into the faith that has just brought us into this uncomfortable prison cell. We really want that. There are, po there are points when Paul says that, doesn't he? I wish that you were as I am, apart from these chains. Why? Because the Christian faith got him locked up, got him chained up. But he can say to the most powerful people on the planet, with all riches and prestige and honor, I wish that you well, as I am. And so there's something about being a Christian and affirming what we believe. That it's not just a defensive exercise. Oh, I know it looks restrictive. I know it's a bit tight. I know there are things that you can't do. And I know there's things you've got to say that you agree with. Um, but you know, let me try and persuade you. It's not as bad as you might think. Just a defensive posture. 
God doesn't just, maybe there's a part to play for us of bringing a defense to the Christian faith. But do you think what, I think what we're supposed to do is not just defend, not just to be able to say, well, I agree. Actually, the creed doesn't say, I agree with this and I agree with that. The creed doesn't say, well, in my opinion, this and, you know, I know other people think that, but, you know, I'm persuaded of this. You know, it's not apologetic in that sense. What, the, what, what a watching world needs is a church of people celebrating, holding out for the whole world to see and hear. And we'll go through these uh, step by step. I believe in God the Father. I know that will be misunderstood in the world. It's not just what I believe. Because I believe, it's something to celebrate. And you can see then that in this scenario, what starts as them having a personal prayer time becomes powerfully evangelistic. They've all heard this earthquake comes. The jailer is about to follow through with kind of section 2.5a of the staff handbook. Uh, and then Paul just grabs his attention. Don't harm yourself. We are all here. This is not a self-centered exercise in just helping Christians to cope. This is for us to be so clear on that it is our celebration. It's a confident declaration to a world around us that we are not just keeping this faith to ourselves. We're not just nervously defending it if we say something about it at all. We are positively celebrating every item that has helped strengthen Christians for the past 2,000 years. It's to be something that excites us and helps us to wake up a watching world. What else? Verse 29. Let's just read on a little bit more. It says, The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So he must have heard a fair bit before he dropped off to sleep, because why would he even ask the question, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. Uh, read on just a little bit more. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God. He and his whole household. That is a, an amazing question that the jailer asked. And for now, just look at Paul and Silas' response in verse 31. And maybe consider, what might you have said? Paul and Silas replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and... Now at that point, you might be thinking, yeah, believe in the Lord Jesus and pray every day. Read the Bible every day. Share your faith once a week. Um, go to church. Like, you know, just come up with more things that you, you'll be saved if you believe and there's something else for you to do. 
Because it's not just about believing, it's believing and. But they say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The reason, another third reason, this term for going through the Apostles' Creed is to know the joy of salvation. What that creed does, indeed, uh, what Paul and Silas' response to the jailer's question does, is put the focus on faith. What do we believe? And the importance of believing. Sometimes in our, in our time now, the focus is almost on our, our experience of what it's like to believe. What the creed will do is help us to consider what is the content of our faith? What do we believe? And in a way, it's, it's utterly uh, scandalous that it's sufficient for those apostles to have said that. How, how can anyone be saved? The answer is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not believe and do a whole variety of good works, and if you try hard enough, you'll make the grade. It was just interesting to hear that testimony earlier on about, about quite well, one of the aspects I picked up from it was, was just about paperwork. Just there's loads of things to do. Loads of things to do. Loads of um, kind of points to satisfy. And then hopefully the time comes when there's this big rubber stamp. Next image. Big rubber stamp. Approved or qualified. That's it. You've made the grade. And maybe some of you have had that recently in terms of exam grades waiting to get your results. Will I qualify? Will that university accept me? They may or they might not. Maybe you've been applying for a job. Will I, will I make the grade? Will I, be, will, I, will I be thought of as worthy? Maybe you've been applying for a visa. Will I be approved or not? Maybe you've been waiting to get citizenship and you know the, the crazy long process of just constantly being in tension. Will I make the grade? Will I be accepted? And we have a gospel that says just by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, that stamp comes and says, you've qualified. But there's loads of things I've fluffed up on, Lord. There's loads of things I don't do fully. There are ways in which, oh God, I, I, I aim to please you, but I know I fall short every day, every breath of my life. And sometimes we can just like nervously wonder, am I, am I still good enough? We were never good enough. Do you know what? I don't know if this uh, story will encourage you or not, but I, this is true. Uh, I heard this recently. Someone uh, close to us took their maths GCSE Two years early. Why would you do that? Took a maths GCSE two years early. Okay. The paper had a total of 200 marks. And the kid who took their maths GCSE two years early, out of 200 marks, got 199. That's quite impressive, isn't it? <laughs> well, he definitely like qualifies. Like, is it a nine? Like, what is it with the numbers? Can't we just go back to A? Some of us felt really good for getting an A star. Now you can get like a nine. 
What is that about? Anyway, so we, we, we hope to get the right result. We hope to do well enough. We can hear about how other people have done and thought, oh, no, that, I'm come down a little bit. If you chat with Alistair and you, you're keen on Formula One, you might watch the qualifying for a Formula One race. And there's this big, long list. And right at the top will probably always be Max Verstappen. And then further down, there'll be some other driver who's in about 15th place. And it will just say, at risk. All that has to happen is another driver does slightly better and they drop down, and they don't go through to the next round. And some of us can live the Christian life like that, just thinking, oh, I'm at risk. If someone else does slightly better than me, I'm going to go down. It's not like that at all. I'll tell you why it's not like that. Because even the person who scores 199 in terms of living life God's way, has failed and needs the grace of God. Even the person who's totally rocking at life and manages just to kind of give pleasure to everyone around them always does well. Even when they're tired and under pressure, they're still really nicely kind and do things for other people. It's like, what are you? Even that person who kind of mutters half a swear word, like once, when they were 12. That person needs the grace of God. And their only hope of salvation is in Christ, is in Jesus. And that's the same for all of us. Knowing the joy of our salvation is something that this jailer knew. All of a sudden, He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. Born again. This scandal of grace. By just saying, I believe. Well, let's just look at a couple of scriptures. So we could look at Romans chapter 10. Reading a few verses there from verse 9. That's Romans 10, verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, maybe those three words are the earliest Christian creed. What do you believe? Jesus is Lord. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And every time we gather together like this, and indeed right now, If today is the day when for the very first time you realize, yes, I need to call on the Lord and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord, believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You'll be justified. You'll be made completely clean. You will be eternally qualified for eternal blessings that are for us, for you in Christ. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You can come into every spiritual blessing in Christ, not by slowly working your way up the leaderboard, but by saying, I know I've failed, but I believe in you, Lord Jesus. And I'm going to trust you with my life. I believe. You know, the, this creed was used as a kind of preparation for people getting baptized. That's why, incidentally, the creed says, I believe, rather than a lot of other creeds would say, we believe, because it's kind of something to declare together. We're going to declare this together, but when we do that, it will be, I believe. Why? Because it was used to go through with an individual and say, well, here is the Christian faith. It'd be worth going through this in preparation, just to show that you're ready, as it were, and you've really considered what it means to, to believe before you get baptized. And the encouragement is, get baptized in, uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, so why look at this creed? To build ourselves up in the faith. Secondly, to wake up a watching world. Thirdly, to know the joy of our salvation. That joy that you could know this morning for the first time, or that joy that you've had and you've tasted and you know all about, but could just be refreshed as you're reminded of God's wonderful grace for us. And what else? Fourthly and finally for now, I'd like us to look at the Apostles' Creed to guide our whole lives. We can see from this, in, from how the apostles respond to the jailer's question, that it is not what we do that saves us, but being saved is by virtue of believing in Jesus. But when we're saved, the gospel will change what we do. It will change how we live. It will influence everything about us. And I want just to show you the, the simple and profound changes that start to develop in the, in the jailer's life on day one. Because uh, it says in verse 33, we looked at it just a moment ago. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God, he and his whole household. He does some things that are fairly remarkably different to what he was doing before he got saved, before he believed. We don't know if down the line he changed his profession. Let's just imagine for the moment that he kept the same job for the rest of his working life. Like he may not have become a human rights lawyer. But what did he do? Well, just notice the change, the transition that's happened. At the beginning of the passage, we're told that he fastened their feet in the stocks. He's got saved. He's responded to the good news in Jesus. How does that change? He's now, in verse 33, washing their wounds. We're told in verse 24 that he was carefully guarding them in prison. That's where they should be. He gets saved. What happens next? He brought them into his house and gave them a meal. It's quite 
profound the change that happens in his life. We might all be called to live a relatively simple life. Maybe it will, to other people, look restricted. But God wants the Christian faith to so permeate and affect everything in our lives that it changes what we do. So when we consider what we believe, it's not just a mental exercise. It's not just ticking off a few things. I agree with that. I agree with that. I agree with that. If we actually believe these things, it changes everything. It changes who we are. It changes how we are. It changes our aspirations and our goals for the future. It changes how we treat other people. Here, for the jailer, it changes how he regards other Christians. To start with, with those very careful instructions that he's been given, the jailer was probably suspicious, not very sympathetic towards these two Christians. But that changed completely. From no longer suspicious to uh, completely hospitable, kind of welcoming them in. He might, like I say, maybe he kept the same job, but his whole outlook on life is different as a result. So looking at the Apostles' Creed will shape and guide our whole life as we consider what we believe. Would you say that you are clear on the Christian faith? Would you say that you are convinced about what you believe? Sometimes we can put the focus on us. This creed won't do that. This, what this creed will do will be to put the focus on the whole church throughout the past 2,000 years. What have Christians believed? What has given them hope? What has been a solid foundation in their lives when the pressure comes? What has been the faith that they have shared that has led to other people coming to Christ? What is the faith that has propelled some of them into mission into other places around the world? Like, like that TARDIS, just kind of picking someone up, picking them up from where they grew up, and then transporting them to another nation. Learn Arabic and live in the Middle East. Or picking someone else up and say, go somewhere else. I've got a plan and a purpose for you. Are we so clear on the Christian faith? that it oozes out of us in celebration. Remember, in a world that needs waking up, and a world thinking, oh, the, the, the Christian faith is just restrictive. It will hem you in. You need to encounter more freedom. Let, let us show you where freedom truly is. There can be other worldviews. Other ideas, other ideologies that are the opposite to the TARDIS. They look really, really big. They look spacious. They look popular. They look very current. But when you step inside them, that's when you discover they're small. That's when you discover that the so-called freedom that the world holds out to you, like this dangling carrot, is just leading you to a trap. 
And a genuine Christian wants to come to you and say, I know something that will do you good. And it's so much better. Come with me through this narrow little path, through this pokey little door, through something that looks so old-fashioned and out of touch. You know what? Real life is through that door. Eternal life is through that door. Life in all the fullness, knowing and meeting God, having fellowship with Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Before you is this open door, and we, I want you, if you haven't already, to step through that. Not just ticking a list, but kind of coming into a whole new realm. And the only way to discover that is for yourself. And the only way to discover that is by faith.